Welcome to the Bible Answer Man broadcast with your host, Hank Hanegraaff. The Bible Answer Man is the radio ministry of the Christian Research Institute, designed to equip believers to defend their faith and become true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ because life and truth matter. Our phone number is 888-7000-CRI. You can find us on the internet at equip.org. The following program was pre-recorded. And now to begin today's broadcast, here's Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you very much, Randy. As always, you can contact us in various ways. One, of course, is on the web at equip.org, another via the mail, Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina, zip code 28271. And as always, resource consultants, they are standing by, 888 and the letters CRI. We'll go right to the phone calls. First up, Kathy in California, Sirius XM 131. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for taking my call. Pleasure. I was wondering if it's possible if you could give me um, a synopsis of what the emergent church is and how to be discerning as a Christian that that's the direction the church is going. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things that I would say in this regard. One is that the emergent movement is not monolithic, it's multifaceted. Uh, So within the emergent movement, you have evangelicals, but you also have those who are distinctly not evangelical. You think about a person like Rob Bell and what he has done. It is nothing short of atrocious. For example, with respect to the essentials of the historic Christian faith, he compromises, confuses, or outright contradicts the essentials regarding the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, for example. He said that if Jesus had a real earthly biological father and archaeology finds the father's tomb and we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was just myth, we would not lose anything significant vis-a-vis our faith. You think about that. Because the alternative to the virgin conception of Jesus Christ would mean that Mary was a sexually promiscuous woman who conceived Jesus Christ illegitimately. If the virgin conception were untrue, the story of Christianity would change dramatically. We'd have a sexually immoral woman lying about God's miraculous hand in the birth of her son, and yet raising that son to declare that he is God, and urging people to join his religion. If we are willing to disbelieve the virgin conception, we are simply saying that Scripture contains mistakes and outright lies, and there's a whole narrative that that feeds into. For example, the narrative of Bart Ehrman, who's made a cottage industry, uh, saying that Jesus Christ was not only not virgin burn, but that the Bible's replete with mistakes. And even beyond that, Jesus was a false apocalyptic prophet. So there are a lot of problems with the emergent church movement. But as I said at the beginning, it's not monolithic, it's multifaceted. One of the metamorphoses 
so to speak, of the emergent movement is this whole pantheistic idea that is now being communicated under the rubric of panentheism, which is to say everything is already in the Lord. And it is not a far leap from that idea to the pantheistic worldview that says that everything is already God. Everything is God. So we actually, because of our great and deep concern about the emergent movement and the metamorphosis it's going through, did an update on Brian McLaren and other emergents in the Christian Research Journal. It's titled God and Relationships on the quote-unquote new kind of Christianity, written by R. Scott Smith. Phenomenal article. Let's go back to the phone lines, talk to Rodney Who's listening in Gilmer, Texas? Hi, Rodney. How are you doing this evening, Hank? Doing well, thank you. My call is in regards to how the church takes such a fierce stand against abortion because it's a direct violation of the commandment of God. I fully believe that. My question is, what is your opinion on why the church at large seems to aggressively pursue that commandment violation? But when it comes to the violation of commandments regarding marriage and theft and the other commandments, you know, the church seems to almost turn a blind eye sometimes. Well, let's take theft, for example. I mean, you don't find the culture saying theft is a wonderful core value that we ought to embrace in Western civilization. If they were saying that, then, of course there would be a whole lot more emphasis placed on rebutting this great move towards the wonder of theft. But that's not happening. What is happening is we are aborting tens of millions of preborn children. And when that happens, it is incumbent upon the body of Christ to speak out, particularly in that this is a foundational issue in civilization. There's nothing more foundational than the issue of life. And the moment you denigrate or cast a blind eye to it, you're casting a blind eye to that which destroys, uproots, and demolishes a civilization. And civilizations are very fragile things. We think civilizations like the American civilization or Western civilization can last forever. We go to Washington and we see the monuments and we read the sayings and we think this American dream will always last. But if you go to Palatine Hill in Rome, you will see the bleached bones of bygone kings and you'll see just how fragile civilization is and how necessary it is for Christians to speak up when it comes to foundational, crucial issues. You mentioned another one, by the way, marriage. The redefinition of marriage is something that Christians have been on the vanguard of dealing with in a very effective way. And we must continue to do that. The moment the church capitulates on that issue, you're capitulating on a pillar on the foundation of life and civilization. It's not necessarily the redefinition of marriage. I mean, that's, I, I know that the church has taken a, 
ferocious stand against the redefinition of marriage, but like I've seen it in the several churches that I've been to as far as different bodies of believers where not necessarily even something as polarizing as homosexuality or transgenderism or any of that other business going on, but something as common as separations and divorce, people treating marriages like they're a contract, like they can exit out of this contract simply because one side or the other doesn't get, get what they wanted. They don't, nobody, Western civilization at large doesn't see marriage as a covenant anymore. And I see that just almost as fundamental a issue as abortion. Well, there's no question if, that it is a fundamental issue. You're absolutely right about right. that. There's no question about that. But even if these babies are, you know, there is no if, by the way, issue, if we don't deal with the family issue and we don't put as fierce a focus on the family as we do abortion, I think we're. Well, I just don't think it's an either or proposition. I think that's the point. It's a both and we ought to be very, very focused on these foundational issues. And as you say, the family is one of the significant pillars, as of the church, which is in rapid decline, foundational pillars on that stratum of life. But the life issue is foundational, and the moment that you negate that issue, you're negating an issue that it, there's nothing more fundamental. And by the way, abortion, we have to remember, involves killing. The zygote fulfills the criteria that's needed to establish the existence of biological life because it has metabolism, development, the ability to react to stimuli, has cell reproduction, and that zygote is being terminated. And Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger, long time ago, while she was alive, acknowledged this point when she wrote the most merciful thing a large family can do for one of its infant members is to kill it. Abortion kills innocent human beings. The child that is terminated is the product of human parents, has a totally distinct genetic code, and although the emerging embryo does not have a fully developed personality, it does have complete personhood from the moment of conception. So far from deserving capital punishment, these human beings deserve care and protection, and we ought to be, as Christians, continuing the fight against the horror of abortion in our midst. Be back in just a few moments with more answers. Joe Dallas rightly dubs cancel culture a spreading madness, a virus of twisted thinking. Belief in the normalcy of the male-female sexual union is viewed as homophobic, the immutable nature of our assigned sex transphobic, and the value of the unborn misogynistic. The dam has burst, submerging basic Christian morality and ethics. How do you bear witness to Christ's love within such a culture? Let Joe Dallas show you in his new book, Christians in a Cancel Culture, Speaking with Truth and Grace in a Hostile World. To receive your copy, call 888-7000-CRI and make a gift to support the Christian Research Institute's life-changing outreaches. 888-7000-CRI or visit us at equip.org. That's equip.org. Stay with us. Hank Hanegraaff will be back with more 
right after this. The Christian Research Journal is CRI's award-winning magazine, combining eye-catching design with well-researched articles to equip believers in doctrine, defense, and discernment. The Christian Research Journal's primary commitment is to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In keeping with this commitment, the journal's mission is both evangelistic and pastoral, furthering the proclamation and defense of the historic gospel of Jesus Christ and helping his followers distinguish between essential Christian doctrine and doctrine that is peripheral, aberrant, or heretical. In an age of subjectivism and moral relativism, may Christians ground their faith and values in the objective, reliable testimony of Holy Scripture. Start your subscription to the Christian Research Journal today. Call 888-7000-CRI or go online to equip.org. That's equip.org. Breaking the code of the book of Revelation has become an international obsession. The result has been rampant misreading of scripture, bad theology, and even bad politics and foreign policy. In the Apocalypse Code, find out what the Bible really says about the end times and why it matters today. Hank Hanegraaff argues that the key to understanding the last book of the Bible is the other 65 books of the Bible, not current events or recent history. The Apocalypse Code offers sane answers to some very controversial questions such as what does it mean to take the book of Revelation literally? Who are the Antichrist and the Great Whore of Babylon? And what is the real meaning of 666? Order The Apocalypse Code by Hank Hanegraaff today. Available in soft cover, MP3 CD or MP3 download from equip.org or call 888-7000-CRI. You've based your understanding of today's sensitive social issues on the Bible's truth. Mainstream culture not only sees these issues differently, but calls you bigoted for rejecting views they've deemed self-evident. So how do you witness Christ's love to those who write you off as hateful? Christians in a Cancel Culture by Joe Dallas breaks down how you can speak wisdom about politically charged and personal subjects with equal parts compassion and conviction. This book will prepare you to stay true to the Bible's views on sin, salvation, racism, gender identity, homosexuality, and abortion, while teaching you how you can sustain relationships with those who feel threatened by God's truth. To receive Christians in a Cancel Culture, call 888-7000-CRI and make a gift to support the Christian Research Institute's life-changing outreaches, 888-7000-CRI, or visit us at equip.org. That's equip.org. And now, here's Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you very much, Randy. And right back to our phone callers. Next up is Becca listening in Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Becca. Yes, sir. Thank you for your program and thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. So I have a two-part question based on Matthew 18, 18 through 20. Is it okay to pray for a medical miracle? Well, absolutely. I think that we should pray for medical miracles. But I think more than anything else, we ought to be very wise and append our prayers with what we're instructed to append our prayers with. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. 
So we're always looking for God's will in the big scheme of things because he sees the big scheme of things. In other words, he sees the panoply of our lives. We see only a snapshot at a time. So we must always pray, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. But do I pray for medical miracles? Yes, I pray for people who I know have very, very serious medical problems, and I pray for those people that there would be a miraculous breakthrough, but always append my prayer, Lord, we want your wisdom, because God in the cauldron of suffering produces something. He has a purpose. Nothing that happens to a believer is gratuitous. Not a hair falls from our head that the Lord does not know about it, nor does not care about it. He cares about every, even minute detail of our lives. Okay, thank you for that. And the second part of my question is, if you would pray with me for my cousin's healing. What's your cousin's name? Her name is Janice. Lord, we come into your presence. And Lord, we place Janice on your altar of grace. Oh, Lord Jesus. You healed people. You raised people from the dead. You have the power to take up your life and lay it down again. And you rose from the dead your dear friend Lazarus. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would work out your purposes in the life of Janus for your glory and for the extension of your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that Janus might have peace in the midst of the storm that she is facing. And Lord, bring people and resources around her so that she might come to a true valuation of things and see things from your perspective. And Lord, ease her pain in a difficult circumstance. Lord, thank you that this is not a mere serendipitous moment, but that you ordained even this prayer at this time. And Lord, we leave the circumstances in your hand and pray that we might be your hand, your foot, in the process of bringing peace and grace to those who suffer. Again, not by might, nor by power, but by your Spirit in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Hank, and God bless you. God bless you, Becca. Back to the phone lines, we'll talk next to Patsy in Arkansas. Hi, Patsy. Hi, Hank. I don't know if I can talk after that sweet prayer, because it made me cry. Mm. But anyway, I appreciate you taking my call. I just had a question that has always kind of bugged me what to say to somebody who says this to you. I've been saved 40 years. But where God says in the Old Testament, Jacob he loved and Esau he hated, does that really mean he hated Esau? Or in his foreknowledge, he knew Esau was rejecting him, so it, it was a sin he hated Yeah, I think that's more akin to what the answer is. I mean, you think about Jacob and Esau, they are born as brothers of Isaac and Rebekah, and yet only Jacob is considered the seed of Abraham. Jacob's position is not the result of his lineage, but is secured because he is the child of the promise. We're told that in Scripture. So both are called to salvation, for God loves both equally. 
but the idea of Esau have I hated. That does not mean, again, that God did not love Esau, but that, as you correctly point out, he foresaw the wickedness that Esau would choose, and he hated that. And in the same sense, he foresaw Jacob's faith. He saw the obedience of Jacob, even with all of his warts and moles and wrinkles and with all of the things that he did to dishonor God. He knew Jacob would serve his purposes. And so we know that God loves the world. And oftentimes hyperbole is used, so the hate word is love less. But again, the reason for it is because God saw the heart of Esau in a way that humans cannot see the heart of Esau. We look on the outward appearance. God sees the heart. Yes, thank you very much, Mike. You got it. Thank you for your call. Back to the phone lines. We'll talk next to Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, Hank. In the last 10 years, we have same-sex marriage, transgender policies, rampant homosexuality in movies, TV, degrading Christianity, removing Ten Commandments, prayer, and pledge allegiance. So my question is, where do you think we'll be in the next 10 years? Well, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, so I don't know where we'll be in 10 years. I can tell you that we must fervently pray for revival, because if things continue to decline precipitously, we could well be a third world nation or worse. And we think oftentimes when those kinds of words are uttered, that they are uttered in haste without a whole lot of forethought. But in my case, they are not. It's not just that I can see what happened in other nations in blinding short periods of time, Argentina or Brazil, or even the fall of the Soviet Union and all of that which surrounded it, all of the ramifications for countries that surrounded it. Civilizations are very, very fragile things. I remember Lee Kuan Yew, who was the founder of Singapore, and this is sort of the inverse situation where you have a nothing much more than a sandbar on the tip of Malaysia. He has a vision to take that country from third to first. And in 65, he started that process. And today, Singapore is the envy of the world. Was the best airport in the world, the number one airline in the world, the busiest port in the world. And you can go on and on in terms of their accomplishments. They are the envy of the world in so many different ways. So you can see a nation rise very, very quickly, but you can also see the demise of a nation very quickly. And Lee Kuan Yew said before he died, the Greek city-states no longer exist. They have not vanished physically, but they have been absorbed. The city-state of Athens has disappeared. Other cities have been sacked and destroyed. Their people decimated, dispersed. And then he left a question hanging in the air. The question, will Singapore the independent city-state, disappear. The point that he saw clearly is all civilization, whatever their momentary grandeur, have the flimsiness of a newspaper that's here today and recycled tomorrow. And I think that we must be the leaven that changes the culture because you listed a whole lot of things, but at the bottom of all of this 
is not that pagans are exercising their job description. What else would they do? It's that Christians are no longer salt and light, and that's why we are separated from the Judeo-Christian tradition that gave rise to the greatest civilization in the history of humanity. I mean, it's bigger than the Ming Dynasty. It's bigger than the Mayan civilization. I mean, you can go through the civilizations in history and Western civilization has surpassed them all, but we are in serious decline. We're right now in the midst of a clash of civilizations and people need to wake up, particularly people in the church who are in the midst of a diabetic coma because they've overdosed on fast food Christianity. Let's go back to the phone lines. Talk to George Fayetteville, Arkansas. Hi, George. Hey, Hank. I actually have two questions, man. The first one is, why is Jesus referred to as the Son of Man in the New Testament? And then the second one is, I believe that the Quran talks about how Muhammad is actually mentioned in the Bible. I'm trying to see, like, if you know where that's at or, or if there's any validity in that. No, there's no validity in that whatsoever. It's absolutely absurd to suggest, as Muslims do, that Muhammad is prophesied to come and to be the one that is the prophet following Jesus Christ in the consummation of the ages is simply ridiculous. But why do we call Jesus Christ the Son of Man? This is a way of saying that he's none other than God himself. Jesus reinforces this conclusion each time he claims to be utterly unique, the Son of God, the only one who knows God the Father. And the Jews tried to stone him because in calling God his Father, Jesus was making himself equal with God. By the way, looking at the Bible, we find Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man no less than 82 times. The title, of course, comes from Daniel 7, which speaks of the coming Messiah who will rule over the nations of the earth for all time. And in that passage, we read that the Son of Man was given authority, glory, even sovereign power, things which God alone can hold and exercise. So this is a very, very clear way of communicating that Jesus Christ is God. Much more could be said. We're out of time for this edition of the Bible Lance Man broadcast. We'll see you tomorrow with more of the show. You've been listening to the Bible Answer Man broadcast with Hank Hanegraaff. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina, zip code 28271. To listen to the broadcast on the Internet, visit equip.org, where you'll also find a wealth of information and resources to equip you. To talk to a resource consultant, call 888-7000-CRI. That's 888-7000-274. The Bible Answer Man broadcast is supported by listeners like you. We're on the air because life and truth matter. The Christian Research Journal is CRI's award-winning magazine, combining eye-catching design with well-researched articles to equip believers in doctrine, defense, and discernment. The Christian Research Journal's primary commitment is to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In keeping with this commitment, the journal's mission is both evangelistic and pastoral, furthering the proclamation and defense of the historic gospel of Jesus Christ and helping his followers distinguish between essential Christian doctrine and doctrine that is peripheral, aberrant, or heretical. 
In an age of subjectivism and moral relativism, may Christians ground their faith and values in the objective, reliable testimony of Holy Scripture. Start your subscription to the Christian Research Journal today. Call 888-7000-CRI or go online to equip.org. That's equip.org.